Warning, this episode contains frank discussion of sex, sexuality, religious trauma, and childhood sexual abuse. Listener discretion is advised. Loudspeaker Studios Hey there! I'm your host, Sarah Menares, and you're listening to the We Podcast, where together we find inspiration, encouragement, and growth through stories and real talk. Here we navigate the messy human experience together. We raise our voices and speak our truth. In this space, we value the conversations that broaden our perspective and help us fully understand that we are connected, we are capable of growth and that we are not alone. Are you ready? Let's get real. Today we have Rachel Overvall as our guest, and I'm so excited to have her here. Rachel is a somatic sex and intimacy coach and author living in Colorado. Rachel works with clients to move beyond shame, step into safety in their bodies, and live a life embodied in pleasure. She uses her credentials from the Somatica Institute and Kinsey Institute, and she works through the mediums of embodiment and self-attunement to help clients step outside of shame and into their power. What an amazing and beautiful thing. So welcome, Rachel. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm glad that we found out we live near each other. I know. I know. We can have coffee sometime. I love that. Yes. So I found you actually through Instagram and was very, very interested in what you do and how you work. Is it only women or those who identify as women who's what's your client base yeah women and those who identify as female or non-binary people are who i work with and that's just because that's where my passion is i've worked with men in the capacity of couples and i just don't work with men one-on-one so i really love working with women one-on-one and non-binary people so why don't we just dive in with you telling us a bit in general about what you do what i do is i really help women and non-binary people come into a relationship with their bodies like so much of this world that we live in has been teaching us from a young age to disassociate disconnect don't listen and when we disassociate disconnect and don't listen what happens is we don't know how to trust our intuition or our higher self and so really what i do is help clients come into their bodies calm the nervous system, regulate themselves and feel peace and presence in the body. And they do that a lot through talking about pleasure and living in pleasure and allowing yourself to have pleasure in your body. So I was looking through your website before we met and there you have something on here that I just really could relate to. And you say that many of our core wounds and traumas were born out of the repression of our sexuality or from sexual abuse, even like phrases from parents, like dress like a lady or shaming around parents catching you masturbating. So this starts from a really young age. 
Absolutely. And I think it starts from a really young age for many reasons. I'd say the first is like, if you're living in America, you didn't grow up with any sex education and your parents probably didn't either, whoever was raising you. So they probably felt shame and embarrassment and that trickled down into you. And so something as simple as like, right, I'm a six-year-old and I'm like, touching myself. I'm like, oh, this feels good. And there's nothing sexual about it. You're a child exploring your body. And you're just like, oh, this feels good. And then you have a parent come in and tell you, don't do that. That's bad. You're not allowed to touch yourself. Right. What's that? That first message that you get about you exploring your body, about you learning what it feels like to be in your body is negative and don't do it. Right. And that's one example. But then we also have like lots of survivors of childhood sexual assault. Right. And their first experiences with their bodies are non-consenting. And so, so often these first experiences we have with our bodies are not experiences that are healthy or good. They're experiences filled with trauma. And if we don't work on addressing these, then they'll just continue to rear their heads in our relationships, our intimate relationships with partners and as well, like also intimate relationships with friends, right? And platonic as well. Let's unpack that a little bit. How do they rear their heads? How do you see that play out for people in their relationships and in their lives as they get older? I see a lot of people who I'll say like women that I'm working with, right? A lot of them who feel like they're not able to tap into their pleasure or they're not able to experience pleasure in their bodies. And when I talk about pleasure, I talk about it from this like wide lens as well. It's not just sexual pleasure, but like the pleasure of sitting and drinking your coffee and allowing it to like feel really good in your body, the pleasure of going outside and feeling the sun on your skin. There's so much pleasure in this life. But if we're not connected to our body, we can't feel it. And so when we have these really early messages of either my body is not my own and someone took it away from me or me being in my body is negative and bad and wrong, this idea of sitting and being present and experiencing pleasure seems like something that we can't achieve or we can't even fathom coming into it. And so really these early messages shape us in so many ways. And so teaching people about the power of coming to their bodies and experiencing the pleasure is life-changing because really another aspect of this too is as like people socialized female, we are not really allowed to rest or be mm-hmm. free, right? It's always like, go, 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 do, do, do. I've got to do in order to be worthy. I have to do this, right? I have to clean my house and then my partner will find me worthy. I have to dress this way. I have to take this, you know, I have to do this facial to appear this way. It's always about this doing. And then this idea that doing makes us worthy and pleasure flips the script. Pleasure says I am worthy by just being, and I actually don't have to do, I'm allowed to just be in my body and I'm worthy of just experiencing by being. Mm-hmm. That's a huge shift. Yeah. I come from a background where I was sexually abused as a young child and simultaneously raised in a very, very extremely religious, fundamental Christian household. And so I feel like I had a double whammy as far as your body is not your own. And then it's also being told to you by the adults that it's not your own in the religious aspect. And so 
now as a 42 year old woman, I am seriously, and I'm a therapist on top of it. I mean, still trying to learn how to connect with my body, to be present in my body because of that severe disconnection. So I'm interested to know too, like, do you ever see a religious aspect of the disconnection of the body? Yeah, absolutely. And that's part of my story too, as I grew up in fundamentalist evangelical Christianity. So also grew up similarly in the height of purity culture in the late nineties, early two thousands. Right. Yeah. And the height of the purity balls and like all of the absence only in those it's really interesting. My friend, Laura Anderson, she's the founder of the Religious Trauma Institute. And we've talked about this a lot. And this idea that so many of us that come out of purity culture have symptoms of sexual abuse and sexual assault, even if we haven't been sexually assaulted or abused. And the reason behind that is because what we've been taught from a young age is our body is not our own. Your body does not belong to you. It belongs to your father. And then it will belong to your husband, right? It's just handed from man to man. It doesn't belong to you. It's not yours. You don't get to choose. And that like, what is, when you think about assault and abuse, that's the same message. Your body doesn't belong to you. It belongs to this person who's taking from you. Right. Mm -hmm. And so these symptoms can become very similar. And so since that is my story as well, I work with a lot of women that come out of purity culture, come out of, I'll say high control religion because Mormonism, Catholicism as well, right? These high control abstinence only religions and working within women to teach them that their body is theirs and you're allowed to experience pleasure and you're allowed to know your body. I think that's the biggest thing too, is like, not only are you allowed to experience in your body, but you're allowed to know your body. Like you're allowed to become friends with your body. It's not your enemy. Mm-hmm. And so these are huge shifts for people who have been taught my body isn't mine and it doesn't belong to me. I remember going to a, I don't even know, it was like a save yourself like sex seminar that my parents made me go to. And I remember actually like halfway through this, it was like a weekend long thing about how you should not have sex before marriage and how you're tearing out pieces of your heart. If you do, like, I remember how (laughs) horrible it was. And I actually broke out in a rash all over my entire body during this seminar. And everybody was like, Oh my gosh, what's going on? What's happening with you? And I'm like, now looking back, I'm like, it was probably my body's way of saying this is bullshit. (laughs) Ah, this is bullshit. This isn't safe. Right. Yeah. Right. But when you're not taught how to listen to your body, it's like, you don't recognize those signs and symptoms. So how does one start to reverse kind of these messages. It's really the undoing, right? I think and I'm sure you'll agree with this on some level being a therapist, but the, the majority of the self-healing work is actually like pretty fucking boring. It's like journaling, meditation, breath work, and it's like boring. So a lot of people don't do it, but the most powerful things you can do are sometimes the most simple, right? Journaling. I'm feeling this in my body right now. My chest feels tight. And I encourage people to get curious with that, right? What do I notice and what do I wonder? Those two questions. What am I noticing? I'm noticing my chest feels tight. I wonder, am I nervous because I'm on this podcast interview, right? Or like whatever it is, I wonder what's going on. And allowing yourself to move out of 
morality of good and bad and right and wrong because our bodies aren't good or bad or right or wrong they're just our bodies and moving into this curiosity of like I wonder what's happening I wonder why I'm feeling these things and that would be the first thing is like start just to listen and pay attention and doing that through journaling doing that through breath work doing that through just laying with your hands on your chest and your stomach and focusing on like what does it feel to just be present in my body in this moment right a lot of this is boring but it's so key to start this journey and to start to regulate the nervous system as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And considered boring, probably going back to what you said earlier about the do, right? Because right. we are so used to the go, 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 you know, never slowing down. And that was true for me and my trauma. The, the more you slow down, the more you hear yourself. And for a long time, I didn't want to hear myself. And so slowing down can be scary too. Absolutely. Because when you slow down, you have to like be with yourself. And if you don't like yourself, that's really scary, right? Right. Yeah. If you don't want to hear the trauma that you've been pushing down. You're like, I don't want to deal with it it's really hard. I spent the majority of my twenties, like into really intense sports, like running marathons, going to soul cycle five, six days a week, like really high intensity workouts. And when I started to get into somatics in my late twenties, my desire to do those high intensity workouts totally went away. I had like no desire because it was like, Oh, I've just been running. Mm-hmm. And I've been not listening to my body and pushing through the pain and pushing through the injuries and just go, go, go. And so like starting to be one with my body taught me a lot of like, oh, I actually don't enjoy high intensity workouts. I really like a walk and like a slow yoga flow. Like those feel really good. Yeah. <laughs> and sitting with your body will change a lot of your perceptions of self. Yeah, I spent time running too, just in a different way. I think I didn't choose sports, <laughs> but choosing relationships. Mine was choosing relationships with all the wrong people. And, you know, because you, I didn't belong to myself. So I needed to find somebody else to belong to, which, oh, that's a whole nother can of worms. I feel like <laughs> I did that too. I think it's when you've especially like talk about growing up in purity culture where you're not taught how to actually wherewithal when you're thinking about partnership. The only like checkbox is, is this person a man if you're a woman? And is this person a Christian? Okay, great. You can marry them, right? There's not really like any higher self. There's not any critical thinking. That's the word I was looking for. Like this critical thinking of like, what do I want in a partner? And so then we're in our twenties and thirties trying to figure it out. It can feel really hard and you can go default back into those people pleasing. Like this person likes me. So that's good enough. Right. So how do you help? I keep saying women, but how do you help women start to get to know their bodies again? The first thing I have them do is like one of my first things I do with my clients is some breath work and focusing on doing it in a different way than maybe you've done in yoga or if you've gone to a meditation class, but focusing on the breath work. And as you're focusing on the breath, noticing what your body wants to do and allowing your body to do that. So if you're breathing and you're noticing that your body wants to like rub the back of your neck, go for it. If you're noticing that you want to get up and walk around, do that. If you're noticing you want to move, do that. And so a lot of the beginning of it is teaching my clients that 
you, I trust that you trust yourself. I trust that you can do this and just allowing them a space to do it. And not only a space to do it, but a space where it's safe. And then also that there's no, once again, there's no right or wrong. Like I really hone that into my clients. Like there's not a right or wrong. There's not a good or bad. We're just learning. You can't do this exercise wrong. You can't do it bad. And especially coming from like this idea of like doing, 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 that can be really scary of like, oh, I can't do this wrong or bad. What, what am I do? And so the simplest thing is just starting to breathe, starting to breathe and starting to notice what's coming through my body as I do this. And, and then I have like, I say it like my Mary Poppins bag of somatic exercises moving from there that depending on the client, it's just pulling out different exercises and working with them in different ways, depending on what they need. My husband calls me a huge rule follower. And I think (laughs) that was the hardest thing for me was learning that there are no rules. Like I get to make the rules, right? I, I don't have to follow all these rules that have been given to me by this power over, you know, mentality. So when you go from maybe a very, very structured, high rule environment to learning that you can trust yourself and there really are no rules, how do you feel like that process is for people? I think it's really jarring. (laughs) I would say that that's that once you realize that like all of these rules we've been taught, whether that's like you grew up in high control religion or you just grew up socialized because we all grew up with these rules and you realize like, oh, these rules I've been taught aren't real. Like they're just there to keep me in this line to make society work quote unquote well or on this idea. Right. But they're not real. Like I can go to a meeting with wet hair and it doesn't mean that I'm not professional, right? (laughs) Mm. Or like I can have sex on a first date and that's okay. Like that doesn't mean that I'm a bad person. It also doesn't have anything to do with the longevity of the potential relationship. Mm -hmm. Like, And realizing that all these rules are literally made up. And when we learn how to trust our bodies, that's when we start operating really, really clearly of like, you know, I'm going to trust my body and I'm going to show up confidently to this meeting because I don't really care if I have wet hair. It's not a big deal. And if someone's going to look at me and say, this person's not professional because they have wet hair, that has way more to do with them than it has anything to do with me. And same with like having sex on a first date. If I'm going to have sex with someone on a first date and they're going to be like, I can't, I don't want to date that person because we had sex on a first date. That says way more about them and their internalized misogyny and issues than it does about me and my availability to love and to be a good partner. (laughs) And so recognizing too, that like a lot of these rules, when we start not to follow them, if people say things about it, it doesn't have to do with you. It has to do with them and their inability to see mm-hmm. outside of the box. Totally. Yeah. This brings up a question for me. So I have a daughter who's a young adult and growing up, she definitely doesn't like the rules, which I love. <laughs> and as a mother, I always found myself struggling. And so maybe you can talk to the parents who are listening to this in wanting her to love her body and express herself, but also feeling fearful for her in our society and the way that it is with 
misogyny and, you know, the way that men have this idea that they have a right to women's bodies. Unfortunately, that is still the culture that we're living in. And so how do you find a balance between expressing yourself, loving your body, and also protecting yourself, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think that that's such a great question. I have so many parents that ask me the similar question of like, what do I do? Right. Especially when you have these daughters who have all of this beautiful, like zest and Mm -hmm. power. You're like, I don't want to stifle them, but also like, I don't want the world to take this in a bad way. Yes. How do you work within that and not silence them or keep them small, but then also prepare them for the fact that the world isn't nice. Right. And that there are bad things out there. And I mean, I think the biggest thing is when you teach your children that their body is their own, that's a huge shift. Like when you're say like she's getting dressed, right. And she wants to wear a mini skirt, like even asking the questions like, why do you want to wear that? And if it's like, well, I want to wear it because I want this boy to look at me. And it's like, okay, well, let's talk about that. Cause I think you should wear the skirt because you want to wear the skirt and because you like the way you look in it and not about the way you want someone to look at you. Right. And so really getting clear on these conversations we're having with children too. And like, what are your motivations behind you're doing that? Right. If she comes to you and she's like, I want to have sex, right? Why do you want to have sex? Do you want to have sex because you're curious and you're, and you're wanting to explore and you found someone that you want to do with, or you want to have sex because all your friends are doing it and you feel left behind, right? What are the motivations behind this? And really teaching our children that like the motivations behind this have to be about you and what you want to experience, not about the outside pressures of the world and teaching them that they can trust themselves and that they don't have to go and follow these rules or these ideas of what being a woman should be, right? Break the script. And I think too, like having, one of the key things is having such an open dialogue with children and kids that they feel that they can come talk to you about this and it's not scary, right? They can come to talk to you and say like, I am questioning my sexuality and I don't know what to do about it. And it's really scary. And that they feel really free to come talk to their parents and they know it's going to be a safe place to land. And so the biggest thing is too, is making sure that even if like, (laughs) that, that as you're preparing these conversations, that you have safe spaces for them so that they do want to come talk to you and they do trust you. Right. Mm -hmm. And checking once again, checking their motivations. Are you doing this because you're seeking validation from other people? Are you doing this because you've already validated yourself? I'm letting that soak in. (laughs) (laughs) It is. Yes. I, it is such a shift to, you can trust yourself. Yeah. Definitely something that I, I'm really trying to instill in my kids. And I think the other piece is like trusting yourself means also trusting your gut, like not second guessing, not for me being a people pleaser growing up. And it, I had my gut there, but it, it was always second guessed, right? Like, oh no, it, that person really probably isn't as bad as I'm thinking that they are and then getting in situations where I knew beforehand, right. But I didn't trust myself. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It goes to trusting the gut too and teaching our kids that they can trust the gut, right. And you can Mm -hmm. trust yourself and that it's not scary and don't second guess yourself.
This week's episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible is an amazing way to get in all of your learning while also living life and doing the things that are much more mundane that maybe you don't really want to do. Audible makes it so much more exciting. I consume all of my reading these days through Audible because I just don't have time to sit down and read and love that I can multitask and consume so much more knowledge and learning while I'm doing the everyday things like driving and laundry. Audible offers a free 30-day trial and you also get a free book. And so once your trial is over, you get to keep that book. And then when the trial's over, it's only $14.95 a month after that. There's no contract and you can cancel at any time, which is a true bonus. There's so much amazing content that you can choose from. There's podcasts, audiobooks, uh, guided wellness, and lots of Audible originals. I'm currently learning how to speak European Portuguese through Audible, which has taught me so much and I'm so grateful for. So a couple of things referenced in this episode are books that really impacted me along my journey of unraveling and deconstructing. Uh, Two of those books are You Are Your Own by Jamie Lee Finch and Shameless by Nadia Boltz Weber. Both of those books are also read by the author, which I always love when they're read by the author because I feel like you just, you're just sitting down having a conversation with them rather than being read to. So I would encourage you to check out those books. Get over and check out Audible. You can sign up at audibletrial.com slash wepodcast. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash wepodcast. All right, now let's get back to the conversation. This episode contains frank discussion of sex, sexuality, religious trauma, and childhood sexual abuse. Listener discretion is advised. Uh, Let's get into the sex piece a little bit. So there's this, it sounds like some foundational work that you do with getting people really in touch with their bodies, in tune with their bodies. And then how does the sexuality sex piece fit into that? I would say the first thing is that when we think about sex, right, we're all, even if we're not having sex, we have had sex, or maybe we've thought about it. Sexuality is a part of our, all of our lives. Even if we're asexual, it's still a part of our lives. Right. And so recognizing that this is a commonality amongst all human beings. And yet so many of us have zero training or education on it. And so knowing that was a huge reason why I went back to Kinsey and got a degree in human sexuality and gender because I was like, if I'm going to be a practitioner, I have to understand the ins and outs of this, right? And I have to create a safe place for my clients to talk to me about these things. And so I would say Tammy Nelson Nielsen is a researcher, a sex researcher. And she says this really beautifully. Her research really talks about the fact that experiencing pleasure in our bodies is the only thing that we can rewire the trauma that we've experienced. 
on top of that, she talks a lot about this idea of if we cannot experience pleasure and safety and security at home in our bedrooms where we should be able to feel that easily, we're not going to be able to experience with our families. We're not going to be able to experience with work. We're not going to be able to experience it in the outside world. And so that's kind of my approach as well is like, if I can drill down and help my clients feel safety, security, using their voice in the bedroom, then anything in the outside world is going to feel easy because we've done it in the most vulnerable space. We've really drilled down to like, let's do this here. And that way, when your friend asks you, can you watch my dog this weekend? You're not defaulting to people pleasing because you've like, I've been practicing this with my partner for months. Like I've been telling them no or yes, when it comes to sex, I can tell my friend that I can't watch their dog. Like that's easy. And so really recognizing too, that it's this deeper work that we can do that will really translate to the fuller picture of a life. It reminds me of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And I remember when I first learned that sex was in the lowest level of our needs. And I was like, wait a minute, what? (laughs) But really that it is a basic human need for every single person. Yeah. And it's really interesting too, because like often we think about sex as a biological drive, like this drive of like, like a biological drive is like, I'm hungry, so I'm going to eat or like, I'm cold. I'm going to put on a sweater, right? It's a need for something. And then we correct to make our bodies more comfortable. And there's this misconception that that's what sex is too, that like I'm horny, so I'm going to want sex, right? But sex is actually incentive based. It's not biologically based. And so in order for us to want to have sex, there has to be incentive there that pulls us into it. And so even thinking about this and when you have this information to share with clients, this idea of like, am I normal? Which is the question again all the time, Mm -hmm. right? And you can drill down and share the science and the research behind sexuality and gender and expression. It's like, oh, wow, nothing's normal and I'm okay. And that's like a huge freedom to give people, right? Yes, that is the constant question. Is there something wrong with me? Do I fit in with other people? Yeah. Yeah. What does that mean exactly? That it's incentive-based. Yeah. So an incentive-based motivation is something that pulls us into curiosity and exploration. So it's something that basically lights us up and it's like, I'm curious about that and I want to explore it. So basically it can be an internal factor with you and your partners, or it can be an external factor that's coming in and lighting up your desire. But our bodies don't just feel it, aren't just like, I'm horny and want sex. There has to be something there that's pulling us into explore, right? And whether that's a partner or an idea or something that we saw that was really hot and turned us on, Mm -hmm. there's something that's pulling us into this exploration. It's not just our body saying, I want to do this right now. Okay. Yeah. So really figuring out too, like if you're someone that struggles with low desire, what are the things that pull me into exploration? When I think about past experiences where I felt a lot of exploration or a lot of curiosity. What has that been? What has been the scene, the setting? What were the things that were being talked about? Maybe what was I wearing? What was the partner wearing? What did, what was present in this moment? And how can I recreate this to continue to get this exploration and curiosity alive in me to have that desire? So much to do with curiosity. So much. Yeah. Curiosity overrides the judgment. So curiosity, as far as your own body, curiosity, as far as how you can be with a partner, but even the 
the being with a partner starts with yourself, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like my rule and what I try to teach my clients is if you don't feel comfortable talking about sex with your partner, there, I got it. Then you probably shouldn't be having sex with that person. <laughs> like mm. if you can't talk about it, then you probably shouldn't be having sex. And because the truth is, is that we have to talk about these things. We have to talk about what do you want to experience in this? What do I want to experience? This is how my body likes to experience pleasure. How does your body like to experience pleasure, right? These are things that I don't enjoy. What are things that you don't enjoy? And having these conversations, although they're scary and they're scary because we're not taught how to do them, they're scary because we don't practice them for a lot of reasons, they're scary. But when we have these conversations with people and we recognize that it was a safe conversation to have with this person, it's going to allow us to experience so much more pleasure and embodiment because all of these things that might've been questions in our head circling on the like hamster spiral doom wheel in our brain of death, Mm -hmm. like it's like, oh, we've already talked about these. I can be in my body because we've had these conversations and I'm not second guessing or I'm not are they, do they like the way I'm doing this? Or am I liking the way they're doing that? Right. We've talked about it and there's open communication and dialogue. There's vulnerability. All of these things are necessary to have pleasure and sex. For those who are listening, how do you help them determine whether someone is safe to be in this relationship with, or are there red flags for people? Like, like you said, if you can't have the conversation, that's probably a red flag, but the safety is such a huge piece. So how do people know that they're in a safe environment for that? Yeah. And I would ask my clients to like, what does safety look like for you? Right. Because safety is vast and different. And so when I have my clients build these lists of like, these are the things I'm looking for. Almost always they come back and they're like, I want someone that makes you feel safe. And I'm like, great. But what does that look like? Like, what does safety look like for you? What does that feel like for you in your body? And really having them be clear on what that is for them, right? Does safety mean that you're going to have a conversation with them and they're going to hold your hand during it, right? Does that, does that look like safety to you? Does safety mean that you want to text this person and talk about sex that way. And they respond with encouragement over text, right? What does this safety look like for you? And how do you feel this safety? Because we're all going to have different ideas of what safety looks like, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe safety is specific to touch. Maybe it's specific to conversation or communication. Maybe it's specific to just energies that you're feeling that you want to explore. There's so many ways. And really figuring out too, when were times that I felt safe? What did that look like? What, what, what did the person do? What did I do? And really creating this own idea, right? Empowering my clients to trust themselves and trust that, you know, what safety looks like. Let's get really clear on it though. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And not pushing yourself through something if it's not safe. Right. Yeah. As soon as you feel that it's not, you get, you get out. I read a meme the other day that said something along the lines of how many of us have gone through with something that we didn't want to do just because it was easier to get it over with. Mm. And I'm like, gosh, that, yeah. I like so many of us, especially I would say women having sex. Mm -hmm. So changing that norm too. Absolutely. 
Exactly. This idea of like, you can say, I don't want to have sex right now. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And it doesn't make you a bad partner. It doesn't make you a bad person or yes, all the things that I think we tell ourselves if a boundary is, is set. Yeah, absolutely. And like thinking internally too, of like, I don't really want to have sex right now. Why is that? Is it because like, I don't like having sex with my partner? Then maybe that's something we should talk about. Is it because I'm really tired and I just got fired from my job and I'm just not feeling like it. Right. Is it because I've been up all night with my crying baby? What is it? And so also like allowing yourself to understand like, I'm not broken. There's nothing wrong with me. There's external factors or maybe internal relationship dynamics that are causing me not to feel this right now. And that's okay. So one thing I want to ask you is because shame, I think is so ingrained into women in our society when it comes to sex and their bodies is shame gone about the same way like trusting yourself i mean how do you undo shame do you think oh that's such a good question how do you undo <laughs> shame i think there's a couple answers to that so i would say you know when we feel like we are able to be safe and share it's really easy for our shame to die because so much of our shame are stories that we're keeping in our head that we're telling ourselves that are just on replay. And so often if we just write that story out or just like say it out loud with someone who is a practitioner and safe and can understand it, we can instantly move the shame out. Cause it's like, Oh, now that I actually said that or wrote that, that's not actually as shameful as I thought it was like, and oh, I know it's not shameful and my body's going to believe that because my practitioner is sitting here with me. Their face isn't acting in disgust, right? They're not turning their body away from me. So having that experience in and of itself is going to teach my body that this isn't that shameful, right? That it's not what I thought it was. Hmm. And so sharing our stories in safe places with safe people is like the first way to move the shame out. But also learning how to move into, I think a lot of this, like with women in our bodies or people socialize female in our bodies, when we have this shame around maybe, you know, this idea of my vagina smell or my, you know, I smell or my nipples are too big or I have really long labia or whatever it is, all these things I've heard from women that I've worked with starting to move into neutrality is key. And so that's really what I do with body work is like, okay, let's talk about like neutrality with these statements. I have large nipples, period. It's not good or bad. It's not right or wrong. It's just a statement of being, right? And that's okay. Mm -hmm. And so moving out of, I have large nipples. I must be so unattractive. Nope. Let's, let's move that last statement out because that's a story you're creating in your head. That's not true. Just, I have large nipples, period. (laughs) That's Mm. it. Mm -hmm. And so also moving with clients into neutrality is huge to move this shame out. Yeah, that's really the whole reason I wrote my book was because when you shine light on the things that you hide in the darkness, darkness is where shame breeds, I think. And sharing our stories is like shining a big spotlight into those areas where it it can't live there. So I I love that. I think in having someone who can help you walk through that is so powerful. Yeah. You just gave me goosebumps saying that. It's so true. Yeah. And I love that 
you wrote the book, your book and your memoir to shine light on this because it's so important when people, when we realize that we're not alone, right? That's where shame dies, right? Yeah. Even something as simple as like, I, I, this is particular why I love leading group classes and women's circles, because once one woman says something and is like, I just keep using the nipple example. I have really big nipples and I'm super self-conscious about it. There's going to be another one that's like, I'm really self-conscious about that too. And it's like, I'm not alone. Oh my God, I'm not alone. Right. Yes. So powerful. I love that. Okay. And you have, I'm going to switch a little bit. You have a book. Tell us a little bit about your book. So my book's called Finding Feminism. It was published in 2019, like yours, in April. And my book is my memoir as well. So it really talks about what it was like growing up in fundamentalist evangelical Christianity. It's really heavily focused on the purity culture aspect of that and how that affected my relationship with my body and my relationship with sex, my, my relationship with relationships, and then how I ended up leaving and then what life was like kind of trying to piece it together. And, you know, I think one thing that people don't understand is when you come out of high control religion, it's really jolting to come into the real world because you've been taught your whole life that the real world is something that is evil and bad and you have to stay away from it. Mm -hmm. And then you leave religion. You're like, well, I guess I have to be a part of it. So a lot of the book also deals with like, how did I operate moving out? And what was that like trying to establish my own roles and learn to trust my own intuition? And what did that look like coming into my own body? And so if you're curious or like you're reading, listening to this and you came out of fundamentalist religion, or you're just curious about a story, it's a great book. And it's something I'm really, really proud of to put out there. Yeah, that's amazing. I I can't wait to read it. I know, I can't wait to read yours. (laughs) We'll have to swap. Yes. (laughs) So yours, is it available on Amazon? It is available on Amazon. And then if you're in Colorado, it's at some of the local Denver bookstores. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I do think I remember my, and I feel like my coming out of high control, is that how you refer to it? I like that. I feel like I got this from Rachel of high control religion. I feel like is much, mine's a bit more recent um, and I'm still trying to figure it out to some extent. That's, I think we could do a whole podcast episode just on that because it is quite the process and it's scary as hell because literally you think you're going to hell if you question anything that you have been taught. And knowing that there are other people, I think, who have gone through it, who have come out the other side, I'm sure your book is a huge help to a lot of people. Thank you. I'm sure yours is too. It's like all of us sharing our stories And it's really nice too that like social media has made this where there's communities for people that are leaving. So when I was leaving, I was, that was over 10 years ago, social media, like Facebook was a thing, but like not really communities, you know, Yeah. it was so scary and so lonely because I didn't know anyone who had done this. And I was like, I don't know anyone that's done this. Right. Mm -hmm. I know people who didn't grow up in religion or people who are in religion. I don't know anyone who's left. Yeah. It's really awesome too now that like there's so many communities for people so you cannot feel that alone. Cause you're really like when you leave, you're like, I'm gonna light this match, I'm gonna burn down my whole life. Like it's scary. It's true. 
It is scary. Yeah. And then continue, like continually working with and dealing with the residual, like the after effects that continue to bubble up over and over and over again. I've been out for over 10 years and even I'm in my thirties and I'm single. I'm not married. I don't have children. And still in there's like a, this little story from religion of like, no one's ever going to want you. You're never going to get married. Isn't your value marriage? And like, I've been gone for 10 years and still those stories like rear their head in my mind of like, you're so old and you're single. Like, and so it's years later that you're still undoing this, right? Yeah. Totally. Become smaller. Right. And they become easier to silence. They're not screaming and taking over my life anymore, but they're still there. Yeah. You almost have to remind yourself, no, I get to do whatever the fuck I want to now. Exactly. Exactly. I'm going to do whatever I want with this life that I have. All right. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm going to ask you my questions that I ask all of my guests. The first question is, what do you feel has been the most vital to your growth? Somatic therapy. I can't say. I mean, when I experienced it myself, that was when I was like, I've got to learn how to be a practitioner in this work. So because especially coming out of high control religion, there is so much where my brain had been on this journey of like, I know that that's not wrong. I know having sex outside of marriage isn't wrong. But then me trying to have sex with people, my body would completely shut down and freeze because my body hadn't cut off. So learning how to work within your body and regulate your nervous system, that's been the most influential thing in my life. And the most powerful to seeing my body as a co-facilitator and not my enemy. Oh, yes. It makes me sad to think about how many years I was just at pure war with my body. Yeah. And it's like, that's not the way to live. Also, like if we want to go even deeper, like it's the biggest lie from the patriarchy. Because if I'm sitting here at war with my body and worrying about my body all the time and the size of my body, the way my body looks, the way my body performs, I don't have time or energy to fight systems of injustice because I'm too fucking tired at war with my own body. And so it's also like this huge mess that keeps us stuck in these systems of oppression as well, because we're too tired to fight them. Yes, I know. I want to ask you about what just happened with Roe versus Wade, but (laughs) yeah. God, I mean, I woke up, it was my birthday that weekend too. And so my boyfriend was like picking me up to take me on a surprise trip. I was like, this is going to be so great. I'm going to have this great weekend. And I was walking my dog and I came back and I had like over 50 text messages in 10 minutes. And I was like, oh fuck, what happened? Yeah. And then I saw, and I was like, oh my God, it's just... I think it's horrifying and twofold, right? For all of us who have left religion, it's this reminder that we can't really leave, that like mm-hmm. we live in what is becoming a Christo fascist nation. And so this idea that like we've worked so hard and we've like fought tooth and nail to leave and that we still have this religion that we left controlling what we do with our bodies is really re-traumatizing for a lot of us. Yeah. And just this idea too, that so much of what... <laughs> is said on the like high conservative side is not true. It's propaganda. It's not science. And the fact that people so easily believe it can be incredibly frustrating, especially as like anyone who has any type of degrees or education in sex or like bodies. It's like, what, how is this 
rhetoric becomes so loud that we're not believing science or believing that women have a right to their own bodies, right? Mm. Mm -hmm. It's so frustrating. And, you know, even I had clients that were like, what do I do? This is so upsetting. And, you know, me being like, I'm so upset too. Like I'm crying all day. This is Mm. so many women are going to die because of this. And it is incredibly terrifying that we're okay, that our government and they're like, it's okay if women die. We don't really care. We're more concerned about an unborn fetus than a woman's life. Right. It's like, I feel like they found a way to legally kill us. Yeah. Uh, I feel like we need to have a moment of silence. (laughs) I mean, really, it's heavy. It's a lot. And I hope that this makes us wake up in a whole new way to what's going on and to the control and to the power over and to all of the things that are happening and that we do something really spectacular with it. Me too. And like what I've been telling my clients is like an act of rebellion in and of itself is living in your body. When everyone's telling you your body doesn't belong to you and you say like, no, I'm going to live in my body. That's an act of rebellion. Like you're doing work just by doing that. Yeah. Yeah. That's powerful. Thank you for that. Absolutely. Okay. So what do you want to make sure that people know walking away from this podcast episode? (laughs) Let's see. The first thing is no one's normal. So if you've ever asked yourself, am I normal? Especially when it comes to sex, no one's normal and you're okay. (laughs) Right. And also try practicing, whether it's a practitioner or getting a book on somatics or embodiment, understanding what it's like to live in your body, understanding the power of connecting to your body and ending the war. It is hard to end the war. It's not easy, but it's so worth it. And so those two things, I hope that people get out of this and they pursue some type of embodiment work or somatic therapy and start learning how to end the war with themselves. How does intuitive eating fit in with this for you? I had a really bad relationship with food. My majority of my life, like went to Weight Watchers with my mom from age like 12 to 20. Yes. Mm -hmm. Ditto. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That fucked me up a little bit. Yeah. And so I was, I had to go to treatment in my early twenties for it and really had it war, I'll use that word again, raging on with my body. And so working into intuitive eating is something that's been really important for me and something that I'm not trained in to support clients with, but I have some really great practitioners that I can refer out that are Mm -hmm. and really recognizing like when I'm listening to my body and I'm honoring my body, like, first of all, I'm not going to want to binge eat, which was a huge problem of mine of like super calorie restricted or not eating at all, and then binge eating and eating like two boxes of Oreos and then being sick for a day, right? And then also not even just being sick, being like, you're such a fat piece of shit and just like all the negative self-talk that came along with it. So I think the intuitive eating for me has been huge of like, oh, if I just 
eat when I want to, what I want to, and make sure that I'm also like giving my body nutrients, I'm not going to have that cycle of binge eating and hating myself. Right. Cause I'm not going, I'm going to be like, Oh, if I have more than five Oreos, my stomach's going to hurt. And I don't want my stomach to hurt. Right. Yeah. And so I think that's been huge for me on my own personal journey is like, ending my cycle with binging and restricting and allowing myself just to like, when I'm hungry, eat, when I want to eat something, eat it. Right. I think I come back to this statement often. And it's one that's helped me a lot is like, my body is the least interesting thing about me, my physical, like when looking at it, like that should be the least interesting thing about what I bring to this world. Thank you. Yeah. I think um, intuitive eating has been big for me and getting reattached to my body becoming a part of my body. So I love that you have experience with that. And I do think it is like, for me, it's been even thinking, wow, my body doesn't like this. Maybe I shouldn't eat it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> even like, yeah, absolutely. Like my body, I don't actually like this thing. Why am I eating it? Right. Yeah. yeah. I feel like complete shit after I eat this. Exactly. Yeah. That was for me. Cause I found out like three years ago, I, I was allergic to gluten and I was like, oh, this makes sense. Why I've been sick every day for years on end. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's like, I don't have any problem not eating like gluten and like finding, I mean, also live like in a big city, so it's pretty easy, but it's like, I, I, when people are like, why don't you just cheat? I'm like, absolutely not because I feel terrible and I don't want to feel terrible. Like, right. So even that of like, I'm not going to eat that because it makes me feel terrible and my body doesn't deserve to feel bad. Right. Yeah. yeah. That connection and that that love and care is just so it's so different when you reestablish your relationship with your body. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Rachel, I'm sure that people listening are going to want to get in touch with you. I will have the links to all your social in the show notes, but can you just tell people where do you hang out the most? Where's the best place to connect with you and find out about all of your offerings for helping clients? So TikTok is new for me, but I've been on TikTok a little bit and it's fun. And then Instagram is where I'm mostly at as of recent. And then I've been getting uh, banned a lot. And so my account's been removed several times for talking about sex and pleasure. So there's a new app called Sunroom and it's made for women, by women. It's for female creators and non-binary people. And that is really where I'm going to start putting a lot of content because there's no censorship. I can talk freely about sex and intimacy I can help more people and share more. And so if you go either, I'm sure you'll put the link in the show notes, but then also in my Instagram, my TikTok, there's a link to downloading Sunroom and following me on there. Awesome. And so on Instagram, you're just at Rachel Overval, right? On all socials, just first and last name at Rachel Overval. All right. Well, I hope that people reach out and connect with you. This is important, important, amazing, beautiful work that you're doing with people. So thank you so much for all that you're putting out into the world and helping people walk through. It's, It's important. So thank you so much, Sarah. I really appreciated this opportunity. 
Thank you for listening to the WE podcast. I'm grateful for you showing up with us in this space. If you'd like to connect, please look for links to our social media and ways to get in touch in the show notes. This show is produced by Loudspeaker Public Media. You should also know that Loudspeaker is completely listener supported and that you can become a member at loudspeaker.org. You can find more of the WE podcast as well as so much more awesome programming on the network. And again, that's at loudspeaker.org. Also, giving credit to my talented daughter for creating my show music. If you heard something that resonated with you and you know it would be helpful for others, please don't forget to share with your friends. You can also read more of our blog focused on all things personal growth at theweespot.com. Remember, your story makes you who you are. Speak your truth, show up for the hard conversations, choose growth, and always know that you are not on this journey alone. See you next time. This has been a listener-supported production of Loudspeaker Studios. For more on this and other programs, visit loudspeaker.org. This week's episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible is an amazing way to get in all of your learning while also living life and doing the things that are much more mundane that maybe you don't really want to do. Audible makes it so much more exciting. I consume all of my reading these days through Audible because I just don't have time to sit down and read and love that I can multitask and consume so much more knowledge and learning while I'm doing the everyday things like driving and laundry. Audible offers a free 30-day trial and you also get a free book. And so once your trial is over, you get to keep that book. And then when the trial's over, it's only $14.95 a month after that. There's no contract and you can cancel at any time, which is a true bonus. There's so much amazing content that you can choose from. There's podcasts, audiobooks, uh, guided wellness, and lots of Audible originals. I'm currently learning how to speak European Portuguese through Audible, which has taught me so much and I'm so grateful for. So a couple of things referenced in this episode are books that really impacted me along my journey of unraveling and deconstructing. Uh, Two of those books are You Are Your Own by Jamie Lee Finch and Shameless by Nadia Boltz Weber. Both of those books are also read by the author, which I always love when they're read by the author because I feel like you just, you're just sitting down having a conversation with them rather than being read to. So I would encourage you to check out those books. Get over and check out Audible. You can sign up at audibletrial.com slash wepodcast. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash wepodcast. All right, now let's get back to the conversation. <music>